Well, allow me to be one of the first ones to wish you a Merry Christmas. It's kind of kind of hard to believe that my dad was actually right. He always told me when I was younger that when you get older, every year seems to speed up. And I thought, I don't know what he's talking about. I'm starting to learn now in my 30s what he's talking about. Um, but we are here. The time has come to uh, to begin to think about celebrating what really to me is just one of my favorite times of the year. So Merry Christmas to all of you. We're so glad that you are here with us, and we hope that you'll uh, be able to stick with us through the next three weeks. Now, I don't know if you have ever received a text or a letter or an email, uh, kind of like the one that Janie received, um, but those are not my favorite kind of messages, where you get the text or you get the email that just says, hey, we need to talk, or hey, I'd like to meet with you next week, and that's it, Right? I don't know if there's anybody like me, but my curiosity just kills me in those moments. I've got to know what the deal is. I'm thinking, man, am I going to just be blindsided by this conversation? Or is it a great surprise? Or is it good news or bad news? I've even been known in the past to kind of go, well, is there um, anything that I should prepare for uh, in this meeting that we're having? Or, you know, just to kind of kind of go around to saying, can you just give me a hint about what we're talking about, please? I'm dying here, okay? So they're not exactly the uh, the, the best kind of messages to get. But what I want to to kind of ask this morning, I guess, as we kind of begin this journey over the next three weeks, is what if we got that message from God? What if that was the text or the email or the voicemail that we got from God? It might go something like this. Dear Walt, I would like to inform you of my desire to meet with you this Christmas regarding some unfinished business. I'll be arriving soon. Sincerely, God. Now, maybe you and I are different, but for me, that would make me extremely nervous getting a message beyond the fact that I never knew God texted, but after I got over the initial shock, the fact that I got a message from God saying He wanted to meet with me about unfinished business. Now, there's kind of one of two reactions but I want you to think about how you would respond. And, and I think it, we see this, these two responses sort of happening up here on the platform in our sketch this morning. First, would you immediately think of all the bad things you had done? Would that be your first reaction of, oh my goodness. You know, all the, all the thoughts that I've had that I, you know, I knew nobody thought. And I guess intellectually I, I, I knew God saw them, but... Now we're going to be face-to-face, and am I going to be held accountable for those things now? Or, or would you think about maybe the, the times you've, you've yelled at your, your spouse or the times you spoke harshly to your kids or the things you, you've held in your heart, the unforgiveness or the lust or the pride or the whatever it might be, and you're thinking, I am in trouble, right? Just like Janie was thinking when she got that, that letter, that initial letter, her first thought was, I'm about to get kicked out. The only possible reason for this letter is because I'm going to get evicted. That's the only possible reason. 
Now, the second reaction, which I think the, the first one kind of naturally flows into, is that after that first reaction of, I'm in trouble, the second reaction is that we would, at least I think I would, I would begin to try to make a case for myself, right? We try to rationalize the, the things that we know we've done wrong. The things, that, the thoughts and the, the attitudes of our heart that we know are not pleasing to God. We, we would begin to try to defend ourselves. We, we, we begin to say things like, well, I've never killed anybody, right? Or, I, I mean, the things that I've done wrong are, are like the things everybody does wrong, right? I'm just a normal person, just like everybody else. What's the big deal? And so it's, it's really just this vicious cycle of the fear of, of what we've done wrong and then the justification of what we've done wrong. And it's, it just begins this, this circle that never ends. But regardless of your initial reaction, I, I'm going to bet that the idea of God coming for Christmas and sitting down and dealing with some unfinished business for you and for me is probably a little bit of an uneasy feeling, right? A little bit uneasy. Knowing that God is coming for Christmas would make anybody nervous. And knowing that the God who is holy and just and perfect is coming to Christmas is a little bit uncomfortable. So what we're going to talk about this morning as we, as we kind of launch out into our series for the next couple of weeks is two-part. And the first part is we're going to look at where are we positionally when we receive that letter? Who are we? When that letter comes in, when that message comes in, when that text comes in and says, God is coming to Christmas and He wants to speak with you about some unfinished business, positionally, what state are you and I in when we receive that news? Now, the truth of the matter is, he actually did send a message ahead that he was coming. If you look in the Old Testament, there's countless examples of times when he was letting us know, I am coming, I am sending a Savior who's going to change the world. Many people spent a lot of time looking and trying to figure out when that would be. Many people went about their lives and didn't think much about it. And many people didn't believe it at all. But the truth of the matter is, we know here today that He did come. And He did come to deal with some unfinished business. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2. And the first, uh, the first seven verses, I think your handout might say one through nine, and we will eventually get to nine, but for today we're just going to look at one through seven. We're going to keep pushing through this text for the next couple of weeks. When we begin to ask the question of who are we, we receive this message that God is coming to settle unfinished business. Who are we? What kind of state are we in to receive that kind of message? And really, I guess, in light of, of that question of who are we, 
does that message even really matter? So we're going to take a look at the first few verses in Ephesians. You can turn to Ephesians 2. And, uh, and if you don't have a Bible, you can either grab one from up here or it, it should be on the screen. Ephesians 2, starting at verse 1. Now, Paul is writing a letter to the church at Ephesus, okay? And you may have heard of the person called Timothy that uh, Paul kind of mentored um, and was kind of a spiritual father to and developed uh, Timothy into the actual leader of the church there at the church of Ephesus. And he's writing this letter, Paul is, to this church. And he says in verse 1, As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now, the, the ruler of the kingdom of the air is, is, is Satan, the enemy of God. And he's essentially saying that, hey, whether you really knew it or not, before Christ, you were actually following the ways of the world, which are actually the ways of the enemy of God, of, of Satan himself. Now, I don't necessarily think that many of us uh, are going, well, well, you know, yeah, before I came to church this morning, I actually had a pentagram um, in my bedroom, and we were doing seances to Satan. I don't, I don't, I don't, there might be some of you, and you're welcome to be here, but I think the majority of us, all right, before coming to church or before knowing Christ, the majority of us, we didn't even realize that we were following the pattern of the evil one, of, of the one who is the enemy of God, of Satan himself. It was, un, it was unwittingly that we were following the patterns and the ways of thinking of the evil one. We, we didn't realize it. So as we continue, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Essentially saying, hey, without Christ, you're a slave to your desires. You're a slave to your passions. And you will recklessly and relentlessly Pursue those desires and passions and you will rationalize and justify whatever you have to in order to gratify your desires and not the desires of God. And then finally, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. That's a, that's a hard few verses, right? That's not easy to swallow. For God to look at us and say, you are an object of wrath. And, and an object of wrath is ultimately an object that's just used for destruction. And I think the truth of the matter is, we can look around at our culture and our world, and I think it's, it's probably very easy, whether you're a person who follows Christ or whether you're not, I think we can at least acknowledge that we look around and there's a lot of, of objects of wrath in our world and in our culture. 
There's a lot of people whose lives are falling apart, whose relationships are broken, whose marriages have crumbled, whose kids don't even have any relationship with them, who are bound and chained to addiction and patterns of thinking that's literally got them in a pit and a hole that they feel like they can't even get out of. And we look at God's Word, and God's Word says, I'm telling you, left alone to your own devices and your own desires, this is who we are. And it's not a pretty picture. The adjectives that pop out in that text, that sort of stare me in the face, are that we are dead, we are transgressors and sinners, we're followers of the world, we're disobedient, and we are objects of wrath. That's not easy to hear. I think essentially what Paul was writing to us is that what it comes down to in relation to who we are is that there's no gray area. There's just not. There's a dividing line, and the dividing line is the cross. Now, we're going to keep reading. But before we do, let me just paint this picture one more time. Many of you are probably like me, and you read that and you go, well, come on. I mean, I'm not perfect, but I'm not all of those things, okay? Give me a little bit of a break. I'm at least a decent person. But the problem is that sin is defined as missing the mark of holiness. And the Bible says that before Christ, missing the mark is actually what we're born into. It wasn't even really a choice. We were born into this over and over again of missing the mark of holiness. And so there's no gray area. So the picture is that a perfect and holy God has sent word that He has to talk to you and me, a disobedient, sinning human. And just like Janie... In our understanding, there doesn't seem to be a way that that could end up in our favor, does it? It seems like we're in some deep, deep trouble. And the truth of the matter is, we were. But as we continue to read, I want to challenge you. It's just like in the first service. Um, you all look like people right now who are holding your breath. <laughs> right? And you're either thinking, I can't wait till he's done so I can run out of here and never come back. Or I just am ready to breathe because what, the stuff he's talking about right now has got me holding my breath. So what I want to challenge you to do first is breathe. Okay? Just breathe. Because there's good news. Anytime you see a section of Scripture 
And let's be honest, sitting into the middle of those three verses is pretty uncomfortable, right? It's pretty uncomfortable. It's pretty harsh. It's pretty difficult. It's a heavy burden. So whenever you have a chunk of Scripture like that, there's one thing I'm always looking for. I'm always looking for a but. And when I see that but in Scripture, I'm so thankful for it. Right? Because we know that the one thing we need after that kind of news is a but. Because that means the news is about to change. Right? And here's what it says in verse 4. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. Essentially, that scripture saying, hey, you are verses 1 through 3, and you are in deep doo-doo. Right? This is trouble. But... Because of the great love of God and through Christ, you can be saved. Would you agree that verses 1 through 3 paints the picture of a dead person? Spiritually dead. What's the one thing that a dead person needs? They, only, they don't need anything but one thing. Can anybody just make a guess? What do they need? Huh? Life. They don't need anything else. A dead person needs one thing, life. Verse 1 through 3, we're dead. Verse 4, he's given you life. The one thing you need. The one thing I need. That's great. That's great news. Right? Let's continue. It is by grace you have been saved. You see, that, that's, that's part of the thing about Janie, right? Is that she's trying to, to give all of her reasons for why she shouldn't be evicted. To, to her friends. Well, I've, already, I've always paid the bills and I, I've kept the place good. I haven't given them any trouble. She's making a case for herself. But this says that by grace we've been saved. It wasn't something we earned. It wasn't that God looked down and said, you know, this group over here, they've got it pretty figured out. I'm, I'm going to go ahead. No. There's no need of saving a group of people who have it figured out, right? They don't need saved. So it was grace that we were saved. And number six, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. One of the first pastors I ever worked for out of college used to say this. He said that Satan, the enemy of God, would lift you up so he could tear you down. But God brings you down so that he can lift you up. Do we get any lower 
than verses one through three. That's pretty low. God's saying, you are literally an object of wrath, as low as you can be. But because of Christ, you will be raised up. But before we start thinking about how great we are, and that, man, that must be good. We must have got that all figured out. No, no, no. He says, in Christ Jesus. You see, us being lifted up, it really doesn't have anything to do with us, right? When you get down that low, the only thing that can lift you up is something that's bigger than you. And Christ is saying, I lift you up. I bring you down to lift you up. Verse 7, In order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And we're going to talk about that last verse in just a second. So the truth of the matter is, guys, when we read these last few verses, not only is, is God coming to Christmas, but He's bringing gifts. He's not coming to just give all the bad news. Because we find out that in this text, the same God who is perfect, just, and holy is also loving, rich in mercy, and full of grace. That same God can embody all of those seemingly opposite things in Himself. Now, now we, we wrestle with, with balancing justice and mercy, right? That's, that's a challenge for us. We're limited in that area. But God is not limited. And He's able to show justice and mercy. As many of you have heard me say before, as we, as a, as a, as a culture, as humanity, we're on a collision course with God's wrath and His justice because sin had to be punished. His love caused His Son to be sent and step in between us and absorb the wrath of God. Because you see, God's Word says, He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He took that punishment when He died on the cross. And by coming, this is the thing, when you look at this text, it really just seems that simply by coming in contact with Christ, that the adjectives of who we are have changed, haven't they? There's a drastic change in the adjectives used for you and I from verses 1 through 3 to verses 4 through 7. We went, we went from dead to alive in Christ. We went from transgressor and sinner to saved. We went from follower of the world and disobedient to raised up. And we went from objects of wrath to seated in heavenly realms. In three verses, the adjectives of who we are has changed. It all started with the but, right? It did. 
Now, one thing that we say pretty regularly here at Renovation is that we believe God's Word is the infallible Word of God, that it's perfect, and that it's the only thing we can turn to for an accurate uh, way of living our lives and relating to God and relating to each other. It's the only thing in this world that we can rely on to be 100% accurate and reliable. And so when God's Word begins to tell us who we are, we need to pay attention. And when God's Word goes from telling us what kind of trouble we're in to how we can get out of that trouble, you better believe we better really pay attention. But the question that's left for me, and that's why I wanted us to come back to verse 7, is why would God bring this kind of gift? What would be His purpose? Is it just that... He just thinks we're so great, and He just wants us to be happy. Well, He does love us, and the way we live and the peace and contentment of our hearts, it does matter to Him, but there's a bigger purpose for why He brought this gift, and you can see it in verse 7. Why did He bring this gift? Well, He brought it in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And so you realize really that the why behind this gift had probably a little less to do with us than we thought. And a lot more to do with the fact that he wants to show himself off to the world through me and you. Now, there's all kinds of things in our lives. I think it's interesting that the first, a lot of the times the first reaction that we have to that is, well, God must just think he's something. I mean, he just wants to use my life to show him off to the world. Oh, oh, oh. I don't want to do, I don't want to do that. But think about all the things that we just willingly every day promote with our lives. By the clothes we wear the electronics we use, the places we support with our money. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but we're very willing to promote the things we like. But yet when it comes to God saying, I want your life to promote me. I want your life to be a billboard for my fame. We go, oh, well, you're all about yourself, aren't you? And it's like, What? He wants you and I to understand that the gift He brought isn't just for us. The gift that He brought is intended to be displayed and shared so that in the coming ages He might be shown off for all that He is. You know, we hear this said, and we've, we've said it before. And it's true, but we say the statement, well, even if one person comes to know Christ, it was all worth it. And I agree, that's a true statement. But I think what's being said here in verse 7 is that, hey, yes, God cares about that one person, but this gift, this message, it's so much bigger than just one person. It's small enough to reach one person but it's big enough 
that it's de- it demands to change the world. That's, how, that's the kind of gift that he gives us. So the truth is, he's coming for Christmas. But I guess the bigger truth in all of that is that really, him coming, it is Christmas, right? He's not coming for Christmas. He is Christmas. And the video that we saw after the, the sketch there really depicts that we don't even really have a point in celebrating Christmas without the cross, right? I mean, that really no point in in Christmas. Pretty cool that a baby was born from a virgin. That'd be cool to talk about, but I don't know that we need to go to all this for just that, right? You see, the gift that he gave, it just started in 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 this story. But it became complete at the cross. So here's the big idea. You can write this down in your handout if you choose. The miracle of Christmas is that this holy, just, perfect, merciful, grace-filled creator of the universe, God, wrapped himself in skin and through a pregnant virgin came into the world to save it. Is that improbable? (laughs) Yeah. On the surface, it might even seem a little crazy. But it has literally changed the world. You know, I think everything we talk about for the rest of the holiday season can all be tied back to this statement. That this is really really the umbrella over Christmas. This is what it's all about. All the other stuff's great, and I love it. It's my favorite time of year, to be honest with you. But this story can be summed up in that statement. You see, much like Janie, we we get this letter, and the whole hinge of this entire series, the heart of this entire series can be found in those quiet moments that Janie had right at the end of the sketch. We actually, I think they actually had to send the other people off the stage to get them to stop talking because I don't know that this cast can do that very well. So they're like, y'all just going to have to leave so she can be quiet. I'm just kidding. But those moments there in silence, that's the hinge of this whole series. That she's looking around and going, this must be too good to be true. This can't be real. Because you see, that letter was a letter letting her know that the landlord was about to change the adjective in her life. She was about to go from somebody who's going, have we paid the rent this month? Did we get the light bill? Did we, I mean... Can, can, can many of us not relate to that, right? Did we get it covered? Am I behind on that? Did we get it in? Her, the adjective of her life was about to change from a person that's renting to now a person who was going to own something free and clear. 
And you see, God wants to change the adjective in your life too, in mine. Verse 1 through 3, that, that doesn't have to be who we are. Because Christ wants to come and change the adjective that's spoken over your life. The question is, are you willing to open up your heart to Him doing that? I want you to take a look at something that's on the bottom of your, of your handout. The letter has been delivered. And I guess it's time that we think about our response. I've left some blanks there for you to write this in because I wanted you to write it so that you could really ponder these words. In the blank there, you can, can put your name, of course. Then it says, Dear whoever you are, I have loved you so much that I've sent my only son to pay the penalty for your sin. And if you believe in him and give your life to him, you will be forgiven and will live with me forever. The gift is here for the taking. Make your choice. Love God. You see, just like Janie, we got a first letter, and that's I'm coming. But here's the second letter. I want to change you from a verse 1 through 3 person to a verse 4 through 7 person. I want to change the adjectives of your life. Now, some of you may say, you know, I've, I've never done that. I've never even started that journey, and I want to do that. I really want to do that. There's three things you just say. You say, sorry, thank you, and please. You say, God, I'm sorry that I haven't lived my life for you. Thank you that you did pay my penalty, and I believe that you did that. And then please, fill me with your Holy Spirit so now I can live for you. Sorry, thank you, and please. But there's also many of us here today who have done that. But the truth of the matter is, it comes down to the fact that this gift is something that's worth a response every day of our lives. Because here's what's going to happen to Janie. This doesn't show up in the sketch. I'm moving beyond even the three acts of the sketch here. But eventually, this letter that says that she's the owner of this property will get shoved in a drawer somewhere, right? You know, probably maybe a filing filing system or something where she leaves that, that letter just for records. And after a while, she'll begin to go, oh man, the hot water heater's out. Oh man, I really miss that stinking landlord. Because guess what? Instead of calling up the landlord and saying, the water heater's out, okay, we'll get over there and fix it. Well, now when they come fix the water heater, as, as they walk out, they're handing Janie the bill. Because you see, there's responsibilities with ownership, right? There's responsibilities. And over time, the bigness of the gift can begin to erode. And I think that happens for you and I. For you and I, we stop looking at this gift the way we did when it was first offered. And so what I want to challenge you with today is the question of, as you look at that letter, what's your response today to that gift? Maybe you've already received it, but we've 
we've already made the point that this is a gift that demands a lifelong response. So, as we come to this table to finish up, I'd love it if this table wasn't the finish, but it was something that launched you into a new way of thinking about Christmas. A new way of going, you know, Christmas is really just a reminder of the gift that I've been responding to all year. Because every day I'm going to get up and I'm going to respond with my life to this gift. You know, Jesus sat in that room with his friends. And that's what he was articulating to them. I, I'm, I'm going to give you a gift. And when he broke the bread and he said, this, this bread represents my body that's going to be broken for you. He was saying, I'm, I'm going to give you a gift. And it's a gift that, that you, should, you should never get over. You see, Santa brings us gifts and I can't even remember what they were. Right? We're going to give our girls some stuff and by next year it might be broken or given away to goodwill or who knows what. They're, they're not going to care. For, they won't even remember most of it. That's not the kind of gift that Jesus is talking about. He says, I'm giving you a gift that you should never get over. And when he poured the wine, he said, this wine represents my blood that's poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. He was letting them know, I'm giving you a gift that you should never get over. As our servers come, I just want to challenge you to take a few moments to ask that question of how am I going to respond to this gift today? We're going to have some folks on the corners back there that would love to pray with you. If you'd love to pray, sorry, thank you, please, for the first time and go, I just want to begin this journey. What an exciting moment for us to be able to pray that with you. If you need healing or you've got an issue in your life that you need to pray through, they'd love to do that. But take a moment and think about what is my response and then come.